Hey everyone, welcome to Flywheel Pod, your number one source for everything Frax, DeFi, and everything in between. If you want to know what's going on in the world on chain, you've come to the right place. This is DeFi Dave here with Capital K. We're here to help you harness the power of the flywheel. And talk about a powerful episode today, Kit. Nonstop alpha, like literally every minute, there's just alpha, like an IV being injected into my veins, <laughs> like at every moment. Um, what are your thoughts on this episode? It was just raining alpha, dude. Like, raining alpha, if, yeah. If I didn't have to host, I would probably be taking notes taking and just notes. like going to each of these like <laughs> websites I, and joining all the discords. Honestly, if, if this was like the National Weather Service, I would have a severe hurricane warning for the amount of alpha because it was just so powerful the flood like just overwhelming amounts of alpha and like, <laughs> alpha I can't flood warning alpha flood warning <laughs> severe flood warning and i can't emphasize that enough um like non-stop whether it's about fracks whether about whether it's about stuff happening on arbitrum or whether it's about bearer chain like we broke down like every part like point by point by point and i think like our you know advanced DeFi DJs out there are going to really appreciate breakdowns here. Yeah, and just a quick tip for the the readers: I would probably listen to this at a desktop because we're going to show the thread and have a link to the, the thread, so you could actually do some due diligence and do, obviously DYOR and all the projects. But this is a great kickoff to your research. Yeah, and don't be intimidated if you don't get everything at first because. I didn't. And it takes listening a few times. It takes you going about doing your own research. And so this is definitely a special episode in store. Don't forget to subscribe to us on YouTube. We have almost 700 subscribers, probably more. We keep on blowing up. You love to see it. Hit those bell notifications. You can follow us on Twitter at FlywheelPod. You can join our Telegram group at FlywheelPod. You can follow me on Twitter at DeFiDave22. And you can follow my co-host at 0x capital K. And let's get the flywheel spinning. Hey, everyone. All right, let's get this one started. Xerox24, um, thank you for joining us. Um, it's honestly an honor to have you on. Like, I think you're one of the most underrated threaders out there. Like, always high-quality alpha in your threads. And not just, like, alpha, like, in projects, but the way you describe projects even before they're released. It's really impressive. So um, thanks for joining us. Yeah, appreciate it. And uh, glad to be here. Uh, you guys... Uh are a public good for Frax, and I uh, look forward to, to, to listening to all your podcasts. Thanks. Thanks. That's much appreciated, sir. So um, to get this started, um, on your Twitter bio, it says, like, you used to do MMA, you're in TradFi. Like, can you give us, like, a little bit of your background and origin story and then, like, how you got into DeFi? Yeah, for sure. So I studied finance in undergrad. Um, I graduated, worked at an investment bank, and I've pretty much spent my whole career, and I'm going to date myself, like uh, coming up on like 10 years working in, in investment banking, working with tech companies. What, um, kind so of, that's, what kind of school did you go to? Was it an Ivy League school, a state school? No, it was a private school in California, um, so not an Ivy League. So I actually started at kind of like a smaller bank and then have worked at you know some of the biggest banks, I guess, and then... All over, like it, I've worked at like probably like three places, um, doing the whole gambit of like you know equity financing, debt financing, just advisory and M and A. Um, and now I just kind of I'm still working in my TradFi job, hence my Anon account. Um, um, 
and yeah, just advising on M&A uh, for, for tech companies, which, you know, has been interesting to see, like, as I've gotten into DeFi, like drawing parallels between how stuff has worked, you know, on TradFi Rails and then what's happening on chain and, you know, drawing parallels between the two. Yeah, your story sounds quite similar to Haim, who worked in a traditional finance job at a Anheuser-Busch, or traditional finance position, per se. So, like, what are, like, some, like, stark differences you see? And, like, do you feel like working in TradFi, it's kind of dated, quote-unquote, and, like, you're in DeFi, it moves so fast, it has, like, different, a lot of different moving parts? Or is it, like, do you see them more in parallel with each other? Yeah, it's a good question. Like, I definitely think things are dated like at the most basic level um like like i've sat around waiting for you know an eight or nine figure wire to clear and like hit an account and like things get messed up and like you know uh, everyone's like you know scrambling and it's a fire drill and like stuff like that seems wild in today's kind of like environment right but like i i don't i don't personally believe that like you know TradFi will completely go away. Um, I just don't believe that, like, you know, banks, their board of directors, shareholders are going to be okay with, like, just giving up profits, like, indefinitely, candidly. However, I do believe that DeFi will continue to kind of, like, eat share uh, from TradFi. And there's just, like, a lot of stuff that DeFi brings to the table that and this is kind of what got me interested in it, right? Like that was just kind of like, like light bulb moment for me, I guess. Like you know, for little stuff like you know, if you're if you're living in a third world country and you want to buy two hundred dollars of like Apple or Amazon stock, like that's not doable. Like you can't do that. Or, I mean, uh, if your salary's in like you know, uh, uh, quote it, it quoted in U.S. dollars but get converted at like an a, a a different currency you can't hedge that risk like there's so much stuff that DeFi enables that i think once that is like widely accepted there'll just be larger use cases that are used more broadly and like i think that's kind of like the long term my vision i guess for DeFi, rather than it completely replacing tradfi but i think it ends up being like a critical rail that uh that that you know everyone operates on or with in one form or another kind of Okay, cool. So you see it as both like an onboarding rail for people who haven't had traditional financial access, like you said, like um, with people in outside the U.S. or like in developing countries, they can't buy stock in like Apple and other major tech stocks. Um, and so this would give them an opportunity. And you kind of see that with these like synthetic stocks. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, yeah. Go ahead. No, go. Go ahead. And then. Uh, yeah. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. And I was just going to say also like, um, like I don't anticipate like everyone get go, getting on chain, like doing their own self custody. Like I think there'll be a lot of backend stuff that the DeFi enables that may help like make, you know, banks and like, uh, help make things more efficient for banks and, or, you know, companies will bring certain assets, certain balance sheet assets, treasuries, et cetera on chain once, you know, we get to a stage of a bit more maturation, I think. Um, so I, I think it'll be, you know, backend infrastructure for some people that may not onboard fully. And I think it'll make things more efficient for us uh, off chain entities today, if you will. Um, but I don't think it, I, I don't personally envision a world where like everyone kind of gives up a bank account and just custodies everything. And like, you know, there aren't massive, you know, transactions still done with like, global, you know, investment banks, et cetera. But I do think that there are 
different use cases that DeFi will like enable and or replace uh, uh, from TradFi. And like, I think that's like a huge market in and of itself, kind of. Do you see any beginnings of that backend infrastructure coming or like that's already here? Like when do you expect for, you know, there to be quote unquote mass adoption by banks and institutions? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like I, I, it's tough. Like, you know, there was something about like the, I think the government's trying to start their own like stable coin. Like we'll see what that is or how that works or whatever. Um, I think, I think regulation to be honest, like is unclear. I, and I think once there is more clarity around that, it will be easier. I think we're moving in that direction. It's kind of hard to say when we get to kind of like the end game, but of course, like I think DeFi is just becoming sort of bigger and bigger. Um, Mm -hmm. um, but I think I, it's hard to like kind of really pinpoint it, but I think for sure that there are, um, you know, you're, you're seeing more stuff move on chain and, and I think we're moving in that direction, but I still think there's like building candidly that, that needs to like happen to, to get there. What kind of building? I mean, I think just like, at the most basic level, there's like a level of like financial reporting, business professionalism, if you will, with like different mm-hmm. protocols. Like I think for like an endowment or a pension to go put money into stuff and like they can't go track like historical financials, don't understand projections and like there's no way for them to really like get under the covers unless they're like going and analyzing blockchain themselves, which I don't think you can expect, you know, investors and other entities to like really do that. It's like one thing, like another thing in DeFi, like a big kind of narrative I think will come in the next couple of years is like, I think fixed rate lending is kind of lacking, to be honest. And I think like infrastructure around that. So like, what I mean by that is like, you know, in TradFi, like interest rate swaps and interest rate derivatives are like a massive, like probably the biggest derivatives market there is. And like, what that enables is like, you know, I think if you want a company or like a corporation investment fund, whatever to come on chain, take out like a billion dollar loan, I think doing a variable like rate loan from Aave where they're paying, you know, one, 2% and then all of a sudden it spikes to 20% that that just can't like happen. You can't like get that capital on chain. And like, so what that like rate swaps enable is like, okay, you can still get that loan from Aave. You can swap that into a fixed rate instrument. And like once that, I think, once that infrastructure is built and there's more sort of liquidity in those markets, I think you'll see more and more of those activities uh, kind of happen on chain. Yeah, I believe Volts with a Z at the end, so Volts yeah. is uh, interest rate swaps that I've seen. Yep. Yeah. yeah, they're they're exa- exactly yeah. Like yeah. I think they're like one of the first ones I've I've seen. There's there's some other protocol I I think like literally launched this week or something. I'm printing yeah. the name, but. You made a really important point in the first thing that you said with the financial reporting. I think that's the thing that's lacking the most in all of DeFi. People are so obsessed with building, which is obviously important, but like, it's kind of like when you have like a Lego set and you don't have the instructions (laughs) in a a way. I don't know why I just thought of that comparison, but if you don't have like a, like a way to like read what's going on and also if you don't have a way to keep track of what's going on, then what good is it? Yeah, hundred, I couldn't agree more. And like, Especially like, I mean, what I like my career has been like analyzing companies, like valuing them, like thinking about like where they're going, like strategically different, like kind of markets, et cetera. And like, that's like really hard to do in DeFi, like unless you kind of can figure out Dune or someone's already built like a dashboard or that they, you know, have a good dashboard. But even so, there's no like standardization whatsoever. And like, I just think that's, 
that's going to be critical, like especially like as institutional capital comes in to the markets and you have institutional flows, like they're going to have, you know, they're, they have their investment committees and there's, they're just not going to be able to commit certain levels of capital without that level of like baseline transparency, I guess. Yeah, I think like one thing that's really difficult is that every protocol is different. Like yeah. how they automate things, how they keep track of things, like how Frax keeps track of revenue is very different from everything else. But like other protocols and stuff and like what people consider like internal fees, external fees, you get where I'm going. And so it's like very hard to have standardization unless you like go into if unless you're a person, you go into like every dock of like every project and figure it and figure it out, which is just not feasible for these large institutions. No, that that I completely agree with. I, I kind of meant more like internally, like oh, okay. standardized in a way where I like and, and I'm not saying they do things differently, but like if I were to like jump onto like Frax's dashboard, it's like really hard for me, I guess, to say like, okay, what wh what are the like key things that matter? Where would like, you know, where would like profits or, or revenues, I guess, like once like Frax Lend is live, like AMOs deployed into like this, that, what is like the cost of each? And like, where's like the FXS dilution coming from? Like, just like basic, almost like, KPIs and like what are we trying to like grow and hit and like what should you be focused on and like what are the things that matter internally I guess for your own protocol what are those metrics how have you tracked to those metrics and like those projections um and just like that basic level of like reporting and then also I mean we'll, we'll talk more about this later I, I I imagine but like with Frax like I think Sam's vision is like so impressive and like once you actually understand it and unpack it it's it's incredibly compelling. I think I think one of the challenges is that people just don't really appreciate that and people don't understand it. And I don't think it's easy unless you're willing to spend hours and days on the docs and then hours in the telegram, which I, I think you can't have that baseline expectation for, for everyone because people, everyone isn't going to do that work, I guess. Yeah, let's get into Frax now. Like Kit, you've been keeping track of the KPIs of Frax over the past few weeks. Like you would know more than anyone like, um, what's going on, the progress, and like, what's it like trying to keep track of them? Because even me and you have been trying to dive into those numbers for months, months. We've been trying to like make this legible for the wider public and people who are interested. So like, what are your thoughts about just, you know, keeping track of Frax and like, how's, in, how's it going? I mean, let's first start off by saying it's a pain, like a pain in the butt, <laughs> just to kind of figure out where things are. If I didn't have a, a Dune wizard as a, a buddy of mine, AKA Seba, to ask him where to look for things, I, I really wouldn't know where to start. That's a huge issue. And I, I really agree with what you know D24 said about having a very clear, almost like a gap standard, right? Like, you know, the, the equivalent of the, I think it's like generally accepted accounting practices or principle, I forgot, but like something that just, ties the whole industry together and this is how we classify revenue this is how we classify expenses like something like that is definitely needed for institution level analysis uh, I, I think that's a key piece that a lot of people are trying to solve right the tie uh mazari a lot of these like data platforms or blockworks are trying to come in and do this so i think the solution is is coming it's just now a standardization, but at the core, it should really be at the project level to adopt these standards, right? It shouldn't be relying on third-party researchers and, and yeah. platforms to kind of yeah. put it together. Basically, all the DeFi projects should come together and like, listen, th this is how we're going to classify revenue. These are the things that qualify. 
make some formula and then just have that as the standard and then come out with that standard, explain the reasoning and have docs behind it. And I think that will, you know, help adoption so much. Agree. Yeah. I, I mean, have you guys seen Yearn's uh, quarterly reports? Have you guys seen those things? No, I have not. Yearn actually, bro, kicks out a pretty sweet uh, quarterly report that um, it kind of highlights their definition of, of you know revenue and EBITDA and everything else. But it, it, it's a really nice, um, almost feel like a you know ten a ten Q equivalent. Um, obviously, much much lighter. <laughs> But yeah, it's yeah. A, I think I think something like that is is very cool. But also, how many DGens really care about it, right? Like, there's also the audience and and matching up with the yeah. audience, right? Honestly, it's a D, and these this, these reports aren't for the DGens; they're for the institutions and more sophisticated players on chain. Right, but then you would have yeah. to wait until the protocol is large enough or sufficiently large to kind of warrant that, right? Because obviously, people aren't aping into you know, the next farm on, on Arbitrum that's, that's going to launch in a couple of weeks or whatnot. Like that's, that's too early. So, so where's that sweet spot you guys think when a protocol needs to, uh, glow up per se? Glow up. Yeah. What do you think D2 for? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's a really good question. I completely agree. Like, I don't think, I think the last thing we want to do in DeFi is like, tr like make it like super rigid, like in a, in the sense of, it replicating TradFi because we are doing something different, right? But like, I do think that, um, you know, there definitely does come a point where, you know, you have scaled and it's like your market, like, sure, you have DGENs, like, you know, continuing to, to play in in your token, but, but once institutional capital comes in, there are like protocols that are, you know, well sufficient to, to like, for, for big institutions and investors to invest into. And it's really hard to say. I mean, I I would say like, you know, at the point that you have a sustainable stream of like revenue and cash flow and, you know, you start um, like growing that, I guess. And like, you actually have a real operating business. It's probably, and like not even just for the DGENs, I guess. Like I, I'd argue that it would help you know, you plan accordingly too, right? Like actually set some goalposts in the, in the, in the ground and say like, all right, so, you know, this for the next 12 months, we want to focus on this. We want to grow like this product to X and this one to Y and like focus our efforts here and like hire dev talent to build this out. And then at the end of the year, you like look back and say like, did, what did we do well here? What could we have done better? And then like have a like, you know, longer term plan. And like, without that, it's really hard when everyone's just like, you know, head down focused on like the task at hand and without thinking at the with thinking about the bigger picture and i just think as the market matures more that'll become more and more uh important to kind of gain a competitive adva advantage i guess you know i'm definitely seeing that at mcon a bit so i'm in denver right now and like not just DeFi projects but like all DAOs. like how can they kind of grow up and be more practical like especially now because it's the bear market in the bull market, you can just do anything. It's like up only, kumbaya, like hell yeah. But like now in the bear market, um, or like in this like crab market, like you have to like have certain like standards and KPIs. You have to hold people accountable. It's really interesting how like we're kind of relearning these things. And I think the issue and like the trick that we have to, or like basically what we have to overcome is like how do we not repeat the same mistakes in TradFi and how can we come up with novel solutions for the on-chain world? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, 100% but, agree. Yeah, but I want to get into like your origin story into DeFi and how you got into Frax. So like, how'd you get into like crypto and DeFi and then how'd you find Frax? Yeah, so it's actually funny. So I, you know, I faded Bitcoin from like 2016 to like, I think it was like early 2018, I bought the Pico top of Bitcoin. And then I sold and I was like, I had said it was a scam forever. I finally decided to buy and I was like, all right, screw this. I, and um, yeah, I missed DeFi summer. Uh, um, and like so I, something I also just do like professionally and like kind of on my own time is just angel investing, like in tech companies and doing VC stuff. And I forget what it was, but it was some like CEFI thing came across my email and like I, I didn't appreciate that this entire like crypto had changed from like Bitcoin and you know a couple of coins uh, to, to this entire like ecosystem of DeFi apps and that was probably like you know Jan of this year to be honest um, and then I just you know from there just went down a rabbit hole and like you know haven't looked back to be honest uh, um, and then with regards to Frax is like you know as I was just getting into like DeFi researching it, like one of the biggest kind of use cases that I saw was just like stable coins for a number of just like pretty straightforward reasons. Like I mentioned earlier, being able to like send money to anyone anywhere in the world, like immediately without like costing a ton of money and just like just so many use cases, like using, you know, permissionless systems to just send a dollar to anyone. Um, um, so within that, I like started like just digging into the various protocols and with Terra, I mean, I guess one, I was like, I just really didn't want to buy someone else's like hundred X plus. And yeah. so like, I was like, yeah, and I, I kind of faded it because of that. But then as I dug deeper, I was like looking into anchor. I'm like, all right, this thing's going to be insolvent in like two months. Right. Like, like there's just no way that they can do this. And then just like the whole, like, I mean, just the, the vibe that I got, I guess on, on CT from like the Terra army, if you will, I was just like, yeah, this is probably not something that I want to play in at this point. Like, I mean, if you can, you can always get into like something like that, I guess, early and make money on it. But it just felt like uh, felt like the, the bubble was about to burst, if you will. Um, and then and then Dai, I thought, was doing like a lot of impressive stuff. But I was like, you know, there has to be like a way to generate a dollar versus backing it with like, you know, three to four dollars worth of assets, like to scale at an infinite level. And then like, I, I don't know how like it was that I came across Frax, but then I came across Frax. And like it took me, I mean, to, to the point I was making earlier, like the docs are like incredibly dense, like it's hard to unpack like it took me rereading those like probably like four to five times plus asking questions plus like piecing stuff together and like in multiple sittings and then it was just like what these guys are doing is just like incredibly uh impressive like in one of the things that i like really appreciated about it was like the on-chain transparency of everything so like you know they had that they have their uh collateralization ratio plus their locked liquidity and like you know being able to like sit there and just look at the various amos and like the lock times and like do the math and be like all right this thing can't possibly depeg and like but they're able to get the same uh, uh, they're able to get some level of reflexivity out of this while generating revenues, but maintaining their collateral that they can move up and down. I thought was just like a brilliant kind of like mechanism that they put in place. And then kind of the more I learned about Frax, just like the, like how Sam's vision of the Trinity stack. And then ultimately, like, I guess, um, the, the, the Frax roll up and like really owning these trillion dollar markets was just kind of like, I, I think that, you know, they're probably like one of the if not the smartest 
group of devs, I guess, in DeFi and just like what they're building. Like I'm super excited to see. And I think once like the market all understands it and appreciates it, I think uh, it's it's one of those coins that like definitely has some volatility like throughout. But like I'm I'm super bullish on where Frax is going to be RFXS in, you know, three, two, three years. Hell yeah. That's right. <laughs> like, I love it. Go ahead, Kit. I, I was going to say, like, I, I feel the same way about Frax and I, it has so much going for it. And everybody, I mean, granted, the circle that I speak to is highly biased, but all of us feel like, you know, we want to max bid Frax all the time. But FXS cannot catch a bid to save his life, you know, and <laughs> I, I, it's, it's just not a trader coin. And like, I, I feel that's I don't yeah. know if that's a good thing. Or if, you know, if, if pumping it would cause more people to look at it, therefore they'll dive more into the docs, they'll find the pod and they'll, they'll educate themselves more about it. But I, I don't know, it feels like the, the best kept secret in, in DeFi. Um, yeah, I think there's two ways to look at it. Like one, it's just underappreciated and the market hasn't realized it yet. So it's just like more time to accumulate. But like a second is just like, and also, it's just like a marathon, not a sprint. Like, you don't want to, like, hype, hype it up, get too many moon boys, and then it's like a flame. It just crashes and burns. Like, I'd rather take, like, the long path and, like, slowly build, like, let the DeFi Trinity stack mature and, like, have it working. And then, like, when the moon boys, quote-unquote, finally come and, like, the narrative's a little bit more easier to understand, then it would be, like, a lot better and more sustainable to, like, for, like, price movement. Um but also it's just kind of like it sucks that like yeah it can't catch a in the short term like in the short term yeah it sucks yeah it sucks that like it can't catch a bid like and whatnot um i don't know d24 what are your thoughts yeah same here and it's probably uh our respective circles but um yeah it, i i think one thing too i like i think fxs has super deep liquidity against frax which obviously causes less reflexivity i guess in the price mm -hmm. um but it, it goes both ways too but too like i think the market doesn't fully grasp it like i mentioned earlier like it takes a lot of work to understand what they're actually doing um um and, and I agree that it is a marathon, not a sprint, and, like, we will get more time to accumulate. And I do think that, like, once FRX ETH, like, you know, is live, and it that I think that will be the product or the catalyst, if you will, that will get Frax more widespread notice just because, like, it should be the most kind of like liquid ETH derivative. It should have the highest yields. You know, the ETH stake rate should go up right after the merge. And like if Frax can capture uh steel market share from like Lido, uh uh um Rocket Pool, etc., um like it should cash catch that like ETH beta bid that that you know all those coins have, have caught. Um yeah. but but we'll see I guess. <laughs> There's two things. Like one, you have to like work to understand Frax. Um, like most people, I've, I've pretty much everyone I talk to that's super bullish tracks, like in our circles, they took the time to sit down, look at the docs, research, and they all come to the same conclusion. They all have that aha moment. And I think that's really healthy and necessary when building your community at first, because you want those people that like did, you want those people that did the work that came to their own conclusions and that have that face, those iron hands for years to come. Because that's what, you know, those are the people that are your foundation. Is, and those are the people that will be there through thick and thin. 
So I think it's like necessary right now. We're kind of in this like, un, you know, this like dark. I guess like kind of like dark phase. Dark is in like people don't know yet, but it won't be like this forever. Like stuff like what we're doing a flywheel pod and other things that will happen. You know, will help get the word out there more. And the second thing is, I agree with you so much about <laughs> wholeheartedly about frac teeth. I think that will be the catalyst for you know frac for FXS to like really gain more momentum and join that cohort of like Lido and Rocket Pool. Because I was talking to somebody and you know outside of like the whole curve vote incentives, like the next best thing or if not like a better thing, possibly more sustainable thing, is Fraxy, is that native on chain yield. So it just is I had an aha moment about that probably like a few months ago. Yeah, totally. And like I think I think what's super interesting about not just like FRX ETH, but like just the, the merge, I guess, if you will, is like, I think it'll bring kind of a base yield rate. Like it's not like apples to apples completely, but like call it like a, a equivalent to like a LIBOR rate, if you will, because if you have a higher yield on staked ETH, then you can get from borrowing on Aave, you're just going to borrow on Aave until, and like use that ETH to stake to get the higher yield until everything is based off of kind of a premium based on the risk profile to uh, that base staking yield. Um, and so I think it's super interesting in a sense, right? Because like Frax with them building out that Trinity stack, they can, you know, get those deposits that comprise like of ETH that comprise the, the staked ETH that like has that base rate that you can then use as collateral to borrow against or to like lend against, et cetera, and then just build this ecosystem of yield generating products around that kind of base rate. Uh, uh, that just benefits the entire FXS ecosystem. Yeah, it's gonna be dope. <laughs> it's gonna be dope. Like seeing all the different, <laughs> seeing all the different um, strategies come out, um, AMOs come out. Like one thing I hope for in the future, as you know, Frax matures and scales, that it's not only the core team that comes out with AMOs, but other people that come out with AMOs and think of really creative ones. And I also talked to another friend of mine, Christian. And he had this idea of like, what if you have experimental AMOs um, and if they don't perform better than that base rate, they just fold and just everything returns back into that like FRX ETH AMO. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, shout out yeah. Christian from CoinFund. Yeah, that is, yeah. There's a lot of cool cool stuff they can do, yeah. man. It's, uh, again, it's it's coming, but uh, we, we've like, yeah, we've been disappointed before, but I, I really believe like FRX ETH is going to be like everyone's aha moment um, and it's going to catch a fat bid, knock on wood. <laughs> yeah, agreed, yeah. man. I also wanted to, to ask you, uh, D24, like speaking of FRAX Lend, FRAX ETH and all these like really uh, up and coming or soon to come products, how did you research and find them and kind of be on top of it like what is your methodology plus you also have like you know a quote quote day job too right like like what is the the secret sauce on your productivity here how did you write that thread like you broke down frax frax lend before it came out it was so well written we actually used it in the frax lend episode <laughs> like <laughs> broke it down tweet by tweet by tweet yeah i uh i uh Honestly, like I have like protocols I'm watching, narratives I'm watching, like with that one thread in particular, I, I think like 
what what did I do to find that information? Like, I think I, I was like hunting around like the GitHub or something, came across the docs. Like I do that a lot, right? Like there's just so much alpha to be gleaned, like with like open uh, like systems and stuff. And like people will post things to like GitHub repos and like things that aren't public yet. And it takes quite a while for the market to price some of this stuff in, like literally until CT starts talking about it. So it's like, you know, I just like hunt around for like, whether it's like a narrative that I think is coming and just kind of like going, like the way I like to think about things is like, okay, what are upcoming catalysts that like everybody like knows about then from those catalysts, like what are narratives that'll come out of those catalysts, right? Like, like, you know, if, and, and then from there, like whether it's like finding protocols or products within protocols that kind of fit those, that's like one approach. And then there's just like, handful of projects I'm just kind of always watching and then you know seeing what like people are like watching I guess like different accounts are watching and then going and just analyzing just stuff on the chain and just in github and stuff like that yeah and uh, as Kit asked like, what kind of method oh yeah, I guess you answered it um Kit what was your other parts of that question I was thinking about like how does he manage his time across all these different narratives, right? Like he's he's on Arby, like you know, with that thread, and also he's on Barra Chain as well, and yeah. also obviously main chain DeFi. Like, what is the productivity? Like, could you share a little bit about like your methodology on how you carry about your research? Is there a template you fill out, or how are you tracking all these narratives? Yeah, man, um, it's a good question. Like, not a ton of sleep, I guess, since I've gotten into crypto and like probably less Welcome productivity at my day job. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> yeah, like less productivity at work for sure. Uh, <laughs> hate to say that. And then, like, yeah, tracking. Yeah, I mean, I do keep a spreadsheet for sure of like protocols up and coming. Like, and then, like, within that, I kind of try to tag like whether like big picture narratives and then like more granular, um, narratives, I guess. And like, so like right now, like RB, uh, uh, for sure is, is one that I'm watching bear chain. Like you had mentioned is another upcoming thing that I think is, is super exciting. Um, I think with the merge, like you're going to have a whole new, like kind of ecosystem of like, or you're going to have like new MEV types of applications. And like, I think you're going to have like a narrative around like permissionless, like staking stuff, like, like DBT technology, like, like making sure like Lido doesn't become too centralized. And there's just going to be a whole kind of application, a whole set of apps that'll come up around that. So I just kind of like to think, sit back and be like, all right, what is coming that we know about what is going to change in the market from that? And then, and then from that, like, where do I think that narratives will build and like, just try to figure stuff out early. And like, of course, like you can't like catch everything and like, you know, you can't control macro and other things that, that happen in the markets. But I think like, just by, by taking a step back, I do that and then tracking it and then managing my time. It's like, it's tough. I wish, I wish I had the answer to that, man, but I don't. I mean, we all face <laughs> that problem. Like, how do we manage our time? Like I, yeah. I face it all the time as well. I had one last question about Fraxine. Definitely want to dive into everything RB and Bear Chain, but what is some what is advice that you have for Frax? Like Yeah, I think like it's some of I mean, keep shipping. Like they're like the best group of shippers like I've I've seen. I think some of the stuff that we had talked about earlier, like I think FXS will be a, like a marquee coin for like whether it's pensions that come into like, you know, DeFi or larger, you know, TradFi institutions, 
like FXS should be a token that they hold in their portfolios. I I think that there's just some like whether it's like, you know, financial reporting or like IR sort of like work streams, like, you know, like creating like a strategic deck, like this is where we're going or whatever. Like, I'm not saying they need to do all this stuff today, but it is something to think about because like, I wouldn't want them to miss out on like the opportunity of like catching those, you know, consistent flows. And like people underestimate like how, like if, if, if pension funds can allocate like a half a percentage, um, point or less to, to, to DeFi, like that means that there are constant flows like in bull and bears and you don't have these like 80% price swings because they'll need to maintain a certain sort of position, right? Like it's huge. And I think that, that FXS has a real opportunity to like be like a, a marquee coin, I guess, in their portfolios. And like, there's just probably some, you know, pick and shovel sort of like, you know, uh, uh, business practices stuff that they need to build around that. Um, in addition, but uh, of course, like shipping should be kind of their their number one priority. Yeah. Oh, can you? You mentioned something about pension funds and like just the constant flow of capital into markets. Can you explain that further and like how like pension funds work? Yeah, yeah. So like, let's say they say I want to allocate like you know one percentage of this to this asset class. Like, so you have a hundred million bucks, right? And like, as as the markets sell down, and that. Uh, percentage of their portfolio becomes less than their target holdings, they'll like buy more to maintain that percentage. Mm -hmm. So that's why in like TradFi, you don't see the crazy swings that like you see in DeFi. And like, if you were to look at, um, if you were to look at Amazon stock, like immediately after their IPO was before, you know, there was like a real tech allocation, I guess, in pension funds every like 18 months or so, they would swing like 55 to 65% in either direction because there wasn't consistent capital to say like, I wanna hold X percentage of my portfolio in tech stocks. So like that's part, I mean, that's not the only reason there's volatility today, but I think as the market matures, there'll be less. But once you have a consistent allocation, I think, um, I, I think you'll see some of that volatility die down. Okay. If that makes sense. It does, it does. Awesome. That makes sense how they operate. I honestly, ne I never knew that just living, living on chain in DeFi. I never realized that's how it works, but like it's, that seems pretty yeah. obvious now. Yeah, I, I, mention it. Dave, I, I call that the pie chart strategy because all these endowments, they have a pie chart and then they dice and slice this pie chart during every quarterly or annual investment committee meeting. And they set whichever percentage they want in each of these buckets. And as the buckets, as you know, D24 said, draw down, well, you kind of have to top it up, right? Because then, you know, the biggest, most concern is when the U.S. equities bucket draw down because that's a really big percentage. Oh. So when they rebalance, they have to, like, sell everything else just to bring that U.S. equity thing big. That's usually the biggest slice um, out of the, these pie chart strategies. Pie chart strategy and allocation. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but but be, before we, we move on to general DeFi, I wanted to uh, ask D24, like, what does success look like? for Frax to you? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's simple. I think it'll be super high velocity of Frax. I think Frax is the on chain, uh, the, the, the DeFi native stable coin that is used across protocols across chain in DeFi. And like, you know, eventually, like I know there's a lot of talk around, you know, real world assets, et cetera. Like, and I, I think that that is an opportunity, but 
that they probably will go after. But before that, I think it needs to not just be used in like all the farms and whatnot, but just like the highest velocity token in or highest velocity stable coin uh, within DeFi that people use as like whether it's their savings stable, their spending stable, and just by that you'll just see a like much more usage of the broader FXS ecosystem. I think. Would you call it? needing to be at the center of the flywheel yeah <laughs> exactly plug yeah. <laughs> plug i mean that's how barry freed uh sees fracks as the center of the flywheel quite literally so <laughs> it's good to hear it from two people um but i want to share my screen um i want to open up a d24 thread about everything arbitrum um and so I want to go through it one by one. You basically listed like your favorite and most exciting projects in your opinion on Arbitrum. So let's get to it. Um, and just to just to caveat too, like these are like either new or like pre-launch projects. Like I think there's others like for sure that I'm excited about that have been around. But like these are more things I guess people aren't as focused on. Yeah. Um, so the first one, which I'm quite familiar with, is a uh, STFX. Um, what is STFX and why are you excited about it? Yeah, so it's a new kind of primitive in DeFi where it, uh, it's kind of like bringing like asset management, I guess, to DeFi combined with like a, a social aspect where you create short-term trading funds where groups of traders can all buy into a trading strategy and deploy it. Um, and I think in and that this already happens, like copy trading definitely happens. It happens within Telegram groups. People try to all kind of do the same trades. You kind of watch different wallets, traders and whatnot. But like this kind of brings a, a social like aspect to it in a sense where there will be like leaderboards. You can kind of like pick your kind of best, um, best traders, if you will. And I think it's just going to be like a new place that people, I guess, like, hang out, trade, post ideas, and it has like the, the opportunity to just become like super viral, if you will, if that oh, makes sense. No, 100%. So a little bit of background on STFX. The person who started it, Mustap Murad, is an yeah. OG Bitcoiner from last cycle, like one of the best writers from last cycle. Um, he was a, definitely MIA this cycle for two years between that Black Thursday in 2020 and now but he came out with stfx and there's a lot of o there's definitely a good amount of og bitcoiners behind it as well as a lot of ct anons one of them is my good friend peach um who's a part of wag me planet and how peach views it how peach views trading and all and stfx is this is idea of having the hot ball of alpha which is basically there's an anon who's low in follower count who's hungry who's looking in the places where no one else is looking and he has the alpha and he's able to share it with his community and share it with his group of people. This is how uh, Peach's Wag Me Planet really came about. And so it's basically taking like this idea of the hot ball of alpha and kind of putting it into a social protocol like STFX. Um, and so I'm actually quite excited about it as well. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. And I think they definitely have the right people on the team getting it going. Yeah, for sure. Another thing, if you look at Murad's like Twitter, he he called the Pico bottom. I mean, well, we don't know if it's it will be the bottom of this cycle, but like the bottom, I guess in June or July of Bitcoin, and was like, I'm going I'm going big here, and I think it was it's been the bottom so far this cycle, which is interesting, I guess. 
What was the price of that again? I don't, I don't remember. It's the 18K. I'm looking at it right now. Like 18k. We'll we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. I'm not. By the way, I'm not advocating that that'll be the bottom. But so far, it looks to be uh, a good trade. Yeah. Next up, we got Y2K Finance. So, what made you pick this one? What are your thoughts? What is it? What are your thoughts about it? Yeah. So, like, kind of as mentioned earlier, stable coins. Um, huge market. Uh. You know, you saw like what happened with Terra, et cetera, and like what in like you're seeing a lot of protocol native stable coins come out, like with Ave Curve, I'm sure others, um, as they're seeing kind of the, the the value accrual from from that from developing your own. And so what Y2K is is creates these insurance vaults effectively uh, to insure against depegging events um, mm -hmm. on stables. And I think they'll also go into like other wrapped tokens. And I think like as there's more cross-chain stuff, you're just going to see more and more wrappers. Um, so I think it's a huge TAM uh, and like a huge market to go after. And if done right, super interesting. And then like, they're also creating like an order book. So you can like, cause the vaults are like ep epic. So you can say, you say like, I want to insure during this period and say there's like, you know, a DPEG and you want to kind of sell that to somebody else or someone wants to buy that risk or take the other side they're creating an order book. And then uh, on chain, like, a CDO product, I think. So I just think it's interesting, and if if done correctly, it should be a pretty pretty massive market, in my opinion. Nice. Kit, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I am I'm still on the uh, STFX because I have a, a buddy who's built like a kind of a whole platform on social trading, and but his limitation was that it was only on. Uh, centralized exchanges and all these like paid trading groups, but but nothing on the the on chain deck side, and and mixing that with social and obviously CT is all about narratives and all about daisy chaining, like the next person literally nonsense built a whole business around that right, <laughs> so yeah, literally, I, uh, it, it's it's cool to see that they're bringing that on chain, but I'm I'm actually more curious about the next project like Rage Trade. Like I, yeah. I, I see this around a lot. I hear this around a lot, but I, I'd love to um, learn about it directly from you, D24. Yeah, so it's it's interesting, right? It's like what they're doing is um, kind of like a novel approach to like, it's a, it's an omni-chain ETH perps uh, platform. So what they're doing is they're leveraging liquidity from other LP tokens. Um, so starting out, I think it's like TriCrypto, like the, the CRV vault with Bitcoin, mm -hmm. ETH, and uh, I think USDC. Um, and, you know, they are using uni v3 mechanics such that you deposit those LP tokens into their vault, and then they utilize 20% of that liquidity for their ETH perp, the 80% sits on like uh the 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 lp token and that's constantly rebalancing so they're recycling liquidity from protocols that are across any layer zero um compatible chain and then using that to have what they envision is kind of the deepest like on-chain liquidity uh for eth perp so that you can have funding rates um uh competitive with with centralized exchanges so i think it's just like super interesting in the sense that like you can you know build on liquidity that exists getting you know depositors better yield across chains and like do that to like get super deep liquidity um for ETH perps and then like i think it enables like 
it's kind of like an interesting base layer that you can build on top of to create some super interesting vaults using their kind of recycled liquidity mechanism, if you will. Yeah, I find it interesting how much more and more Uni V3 is being used as a primitive for all these derivatives, whether they're ETH perps, options. That seems to be one, one, the, one of, if not the main use case of, v th of projects building on top of Uni V3. Okay, so I, I'm trying to wrap my head around this. Is this basically Uni V3 bands, but then it allows you to trade ETH perps with the underlying instead of say like ETH USDC? So, and I mean, don't quote me on all this. Like I could definitely be not exactly right for sure. Um, but like, so uh, it's a Uni V3 band in the sense, it, it creates 80% of the liquidity. So if you deposit your curve uh, tri crypto token, 80% of that liquidity like is not deposited, I guess, into the, the ETH perp. 20% of that liquidity is used for the perpetual liquidity. And then at the, they, they constantly will balance that out to maintain that 80, 20 percentage, I guess. Um, and then, and then, so they're able to use liquidity and then they're also going to build like a GLP vault and like other vaults. And then, so you're, you're, um, yeah, they're, they're leveraging liquidity from these LP tokens to deepen this perp liquidity, if you will, if that makes sense. Okay. Got it. Nice. Nice. We like the capital efficiency. Yeah. <laughs> um, next up, we got Dam Finance, which is I'm personally excited for because I've talked to the team a few times. We've actually had them on a Twitter space a few months ago. Um, can you explain what Dam Finance is and what you like about it? Yeah, so it's like um, it's an institutional like uh, they they do under collateralized today. They do under collateralized lending uh, of altcoins to delta neutral market makers uh and what what's interesting about that is like and everything is transparent so i think they partner with x margin to like main to to, to monitor a market maker's net long short position um in that token uh it's interesting because like to date like a lot of lending is over collateralized and that's just not efficient but you see what ha you saw with 3ac what happened when like stuff wasn't um um, when, when under collateralized lending happened that wasn't done like transparently, I guess. So like, I think that is very interesting. And then also it's interesting for a token issuer because today, like for token issuers to lend to market makers, I think there was a discussion around this in like the FXS chat yesterday, actually to lend to market makers to get listed on a centralized exchange, the market makers kind of have a monopoly on these altcoins. So they'll like give them really crappy terms, to be honest, where, yeah. you know, they're forcing them to like give, give them a call option or, you know, p paid some retainer. And it's just like, they get screwed candidly. And like this enables a fair market for, uh, uh, market makers to borrow these coins to get access to that so that and then the the token issuer gets a yield from that plus they deepen the liquidity of their token and then all this stuff's done transparently so like if if like a, a market maker were to do that and have like a super uh over like weighted short position uh there would be like you would be able to see that in theory um, and bump the interest rate or call the loan or, or do whatever. So, so I just think it's, it's a pretty interesting primitive. Yeah, that's definitely huge, especially for Frax. Like, I'd love to see this be the way that Frax deepens liquidity on both 
indexes and possibly sexes. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, I think it could kind of change how market makers work, I guess, with, with altcoins and like, uh, yeah, I, I think that there's, there's a pretty, pretty large opportunity. I concur. And next up we got Contango. So I haven't heard of this one. What's Contago? Yeah. So they're, so like perps today are just like, obviously like they're, they're perpetual contracts. Contango is just like a dated futures contract. So it has an ex expiration date, if you will. Mm. Um, and again, it was just kind of like what I was mentioning earlier with like the fixed, fixed lending stuff. Um, um, it's just like, it, it's a pretty large market on centralized exchanges. There's no sort of fixed futures contracts platforms in DeFi today. Um, and if you look at how massive the perps market is, like, like there's no reason that the, the, the sh same shouldn't be said for fixed term sort of, um, um, futures. And I like, I mean, to be totally honest, like I haven't gone super deep on them. I don't know. I think they work with like yield protocol using their like fixed rate, um, loans on tokens, but like, I'm, I'm not too sure on the mechanics of how it all works. Mm. One to keep an eye on. It's an interesting. They're the only expirable one. It looks like. Yeah. yeah and I mean like well, people like perps cause they're easy, but this shouldn't be that much more difficult. It's not like super complex, like an option, but it's, it just has yeah. like an expiration date. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's the first primitive on chain, all the centralized exchanges offer it. So, so it's definitely yeah. one to watch, I think. I mean, I just want to make a, a quick comment here. I, I love how DeFi has really blown up across the board because yeah. this is no longer your pick your favorite food emoji farm. That's yeah. just a, a Uniswap V2 fork and, you know, uh, just re replicated everywhere. Um, this, these are some really complex stuff that they're, that they're shipping out now. It's come a long way. Yeah. Honestly, like kudos to DeFi and big ups to Arbitrum for being the playing field that all these different protocols are building on. That says a lot about Arbitrum as a roll-up as a whole. And then next up, we got Gumball Protocol. Uh, so what do you like about Gumball over here? Yeah, it's like an NFT. I just generally like i'm pretty bullish on like nft fi i guess like to date it just the a lot of the 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 lending stuff has been it there hasn't been primitives i guess built around like building liquidity deeper liquidity behind nfts to enable like a sort of ecosystem of DeFi like type of apps that sit on top of it um Gumball is like effectively allows projects, NFT projects to launch with a corresponding ERC20 token um, that are sold on a bonding curve, um, which then acts as like the liquidity for that collection. And then from there, you can think about like all of the primitives that can be built kind of on top or around it because you have liquidity behind these NFTs. So it should be a lot easier uh, to lend like borrow against them, et cetera. And you just get like a lot more utility out of your NFTs. Well, so it wraps the NFTs in ERC-20 and then puts it on a bonding curve. And this makes it easier for lending and for different composable activities. 
Yeah, it's like for like new projects, I guess, to launch. Yes, yeah, that's that's right, right. And then you have like deeper liquidity behind behind the NFT. So yeah. it's it's kind of interesting, I think. How does this compare to something like PseudoSwap? Because PseudoSwap is basically like the unwrapped version of it. PseudoSwap like leaves it as an NFT, right? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, like. I think we'll we'll see how Gumball actually works in practice. I think with PseudoSwap, like new projects haven't really figured out, I guess, like how to keep a market because like what what we've seen with a lot of the launches on pseudo pseudo is like like they don't keep the pool balanced and like that projects just get dumped on in the pool and like a lot of the new launches just quickly go to zero as like people buy a bunch and then you know so so. I don't know. We'll we'll see kind of I think how it all like plays out and like a lot of these things are like totally novel. Like another one is like Abacus that mm -hmm. I'm pretty excited mm -hmm. about. Um and they do what they're doing is like creating these spot pools where, you know, it creates their own appraisal system for NFTs. So say you have like a bunch of punks and like you can create a pool where, you know, people will say I think like you can buy different tranches of the punk so one to two eth two to three and you say like what you think the the nft is worth and that liquidity is locked for a certain amount of time um and then the holder of the nft once they turn on one of those spot pools can say i want to sell this punk and if like let's say the pool is up to you know whatever 65 ETH, they're guaranteed at least 65 they're guaranteed they get that 65 eth and if the, the the nft gets auctioned and it's sold for less than that the higher tranches get slashed if you will but um um the owner keeps the nft uh, uh and if it's more than that the high the, the higher tranche depositors get like a larger share of the profits from that so like it creates like locked liquidity behind nfts and then and then from that like you know you can create a lot more efficient lending and stuff so yeah nft DeFi, it's gonna be nfts and DeFi will be interesting to see how it evolves and you know, which projects are able to marry the two most elegantly. Yeah, I mean, cause like you have like people that minted apes or punks or whatever, and like the majority of their net worth is in like two JPEGs and they don't want to <laughs> give them up, but yeah. like mm -hmm. they get like no, they can't bar like they get no utility out of it. Or what happens is like you borrow against them and it's pretty easy for like a death spiral to happen because they are based on floor price on OpenSea, which if you're a whale, you can easily easily manipulate that and then like if you manipulate that floor price then nfts go up for then if they're getting liquidated they go up for auction then there's no buyers and then it causes kind of like a cascading effect and that's kind of been the issue so far interesting yeah i i agree with that observation um next up is uh split finance um what is split and what do you like about it oh they have custom rpc functionality that's pretty cool yeah um so they're very they're pretty new there's not much out on them i don't believe but like they're and they're going to be like an on-chain aggregator um but what they're going to do is like they're going to like have mep mev protection mev profit sharing and other sort of custom rpc functionality and like um again i just think like the mev opportunity is huge here and like to be able to like aggregate across chains and optimize uh uh for mev like i yeah. i think it's going to be massive oh yeah i agree especially post-merge and all all the madness that's going to happen over there 
yeah, it's going to be wild, man. And then it's like, after that, I think it's going to be like cross-chain MEV and there's just going to be like the, the whole supply chain. I think, uh, yeah, you'll yeah. see like new apps kind of becoming to de get developed, I guess. Cross-chain MEV is crazy. That's not talked about enough. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But it's going to be like pretty prevalent in ETH if you think about it, right? Because like mm -hmm. you're going to have all these different roll-ups and like that's, that's going to be like as they all settle to mainnet, um, it's going to be something that, that matters, I guess, right? Yeah, 100%. Man, I feel so, like these, oh, go these ahead. like omni-chain decks and bridges, like I, I remember I think Sam K said this in the last pod, it was like the, the two taboo words right now are algo stable and cross-chain <laughs> bridges. <laughs> And then whenever I see that Omni chain, I get a little like, you know, PTSD just, just, just seeing these things. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I don't disagree. I just, I don't think it's, I think it's, it's a problem that like somebody will solve. Um, just hasn't happened yet. But also like, it also relates to like across rollups too, right? Where you yeah. can like maintain the security from, from ETH. Um, but, but I agree. It's, it's total. it's scary, right? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, both feel like both parts of Web3 or DeFi, whether it's bridges or Apple Stables, are at the cutting edge of their respective niches. And when you're at the cutting edge, you're going to get, you're going to bleed a little bit. Oh, <laughs> like, nice. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, you're going to get some scars, but it's like the, those scars that build you and um, build character. For sure, man. It's just like, it's just what happens when you're like, yeah, exactly like you said, at the bleeding edge and innovating. You have to like test bounds and then like have people challenge you. Otherwise, like you're just going to like maintain like the status quo, you know? Yeah. And I like to say that all of us are in beta, whether we like it or not. And when we want, and before the big money, the real big money comes in on a consistent basis, we need to basically beta test ourselves with all the different experiments testing the limits what works what doesn't work what's safe what's not safe and we're still in that early adoption phase for sure and i think like to that point like i think it's like important for projects to like have that open discussion versus like maxis like jumping down your throat when you like test certain things right because like we've seen how that plays out um i don't know how many times we need to learn right but um I think that's going to be that's that's important because you have to like test limits to like build this super innovative stuff. What do you mean, uh, Maxis? Like, well, like, I mean, uh, your your guys's recent flywheel around uh, the 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 GLP stuff, right? Oh, I yeah. know, and then I saw some tweets around that, and like people were were getting offended. Um, and yes. I'm not saying one thing or another around. Uh, GMX, like I've had a GMX bag for for a long time, but like I think like when when if 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 there are people challenging, I think a lot of times it is healthy discussion. Like of course you don't want like someone just like saying stuff to create fud, but I think it's important to like um, engage in those discussions. Yeah, I was gonna ask you like, what are your thoughts on the GLP comments from that episode? Yeah, I think. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I, it's not as easy as I think it was described because there are caps on, you know, what you can do. I think, I think to say it's impossible for that scenario to play out is probably false because 
it definitely could happen. Like I, I believe that the caps are in place kind of before um, trades are issued. And like, let's say you have like a net long or short position. I don't know if withdrawals are restricted or not, but also I think that's that there are a bunch of protocols building on GLP liquidity, which creates the Wait. consistent demand uh, Sorry. Uh, yeah. Cut out. You, yeah. You cut out for like like a ten second span there. So the last thing I heard was it was presented simpler in a simpler way than you thought warranted justice. But and the caps are there. But you said it's not impossible to happen. Oh yeah. No, I I just don't think it's as easy. I guess for for like a bank run as it was described because I think you you can only. Um, there are caps in place around max trades and uh, net short and long positions that one can take. Um, I do th believe, and I don't quote me on this, that it may be possible that if you know long and short positions were placed, um, it, I, I don't know that they lock that liquidity. Like let's say, like there were a bunch of withdraw or like a bunch of people were withdrawing from GLP. Um, if they if they lock that liquidity in, but they there's also a whole ecosystem of protocols building on GLP liquidity, which will create consistent demand for GLP. So I think the more demand for GLP that you have, more protocols building on GLP, um, you mitigate the risk of that yeah, scenario. Like Umami. Um, yeah, Umami, like Plutus. Um, there's others like that are coming out too. So I think uh, uh, Rage Trade is going to have a GLP vault. And mm -hmm. so with all that, you're just going to have consistent like deposits of GLP, people minting it. It may be locked into like, you know, these various vaults. And with that, I think that risk gets mitigated. Yeah, that makes sense. Having that consistent demand for GLP. Um, and kudos, honestly, to GMX for building a protocol that so many other protocols build on top of totally and and the uh, the last point i'd make is like i think synths and like their their new vam like bamm model will also mitigate that to some extent but yeah gmx i think is like they've become like a critical DeFi building block especially in arbitrum um yeah. yeah and it's super exciting to see like all these projects building on top of them yeah that for sure and there's not enough really spot liquidity on Arbitrum yet. And so G GMX is like one of the few venues where you can get a good price on things. For sure. Uh, 100%. D24, speaking of projects on Arbitrum, I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on like Vesta Finance. What, what do you think about those guys? Because I know they come up with yeah. GLP collateral like soon-ish. Yeah, I like I, I'm not like super deep on them, but I do think, I think it... I think they're very unique in the sense that there's unique collateral types and like they kind of, you know, invested, in my opinion, in mm -hmm. the right ecosystem, right? Like to be in the Arbitrum ecosystem and have GLP collateral to have, you know, uh, I think like Dopex collateral, GMX collateral, like the, 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 that ecosystem of RB apps is like mm -hmm. super interesting in mm -hmm. my opinion. Um, um, and and I think they like they have a V two coming out. I'm not all that familiar they do. with. They do on our episode. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 like in that regard, I think it's like very interesting. I th I think it's becoming proven that like the CDP model is not the most efficient per se. 
Um, but I think getting that type of collateral in your system and like working with those protocols, there's like a lot of interesting stuff that they can do. Yeah, and they also just uh, started to collab with Mover to bring a real life card. <laughs> you like you can spend. I'm not sure the details of it, but you can spend your Vesta or your Yield or um, in the real world with the Mover card. I know they just announced that. Are you guys familiar with that collaboration? Uh uh-uh. uh That's no, interesting though. Yeah. No, I'd love to see that with Frax and Fraxland. <laughs> like have have like a Frax card to use in the real world one day. Dude, that's sick. Yeah, no, no, I hadn't seen that. Yeah. Um, next up, we have uh, Vertex. Uh, I love what you said here. They got Do Kwan, <laughs> but they pivoted to Arbitrum. Yeah, so um, they yeah, they were building on Terra. It's just like a, a full on-chain order book that's going to offer like derivatives, uh, spot trading perps, uh, and a whole host of products. I actually think they came out with their light paper last night and like, I haven't looked at it, but, um, um, so I need to do that. But, uh, but, but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, there, there really is no kind of like order book. I don't know if zigzags, I think actually zigzags on Arbitrum. Um, but, but like I don't know, they they seem to have an ambitious like long term roadmap. I'm just like I to be honest, I'm not familiar with the details since I haven't looked at that doc. But uh, mm-hmm. they've been building a while. They've been building to ship on Arbitrum since like I guess May or so. So May, oof. Oh oh wait, yeah. Arbitrum. Yeah, that makes sense. Fucking because yeah, yeah, and like I think their vision is like all right, you can do all this stuff in an easy way, like on FTX, Binance, and and those other platforms, like. There needs to be like a one-stop kind of fully integrated uh, order book that's on-chain where you can do all the same stuff, and I think that's kind of their their vision. Yeah, I agree. Like, there'd definitely be uh, a venue for all those fun things. Uh, next up, we got NFT perp. Um, like you said, pretty self-explanatory there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So just like a perps platform for 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 NFTs. So you can like, you know, which is interesting in the sense that like, if you can't afford like a big collection, you can go like long short on different NFTs and like, and or if like you're going into a mint, like you can like, hedge or you want to like hold like some NFT through reveal, Mm -hmm. you can hedge. Um, But yeah, so I just it's, uh, it's kind of a just like a new primitive for NFTs. I know Tracer was talking about like, being able to bring perps on on chain or, or NFT perps into into Tracer with their perpetual pools, um, um, but but yeah, that's just kind of what they're doing. Yeah, I think that's <clears throat> super useful, um, especially for seasoned NFT traders and holders. Yeah, yeah, and like personally, like I'm not like a NFT trader like at all. Um, I've lost money like on every NFT I've ever bought, probably. But uh, the DeFi curse. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, but I do think like, and you know, that there there's no reason that like you shouldn't have like liquidity and like utility behind this stuff and create apps that that sit on top of them. It just needs to be done correctly. And I think once that happens, like. The reason like I'm excited about it is like I think NFTs are more top of the funnel for retail than DeFi. Oh, so you like bring in all these people, then they start using DeFi without even knowing they're using DeFi and like that's our next billion users, you know? Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more with that. Like NFTs and DAOs are the top of the funnel. And then slowly they use like different tools and the best part the best scenario would be they're using these tools and they don't even realize what they are. 
Yeah, exactly. And this last one, which I find really interesting, is Excalibur. Excalibur 69, a solidly dex. Um, this will be the third solidly dex I've seen. And I'm curious, like, what are your thoughts on this? Are they going to do anything different from the previous solidly dex? Like, you know, you had the original one, then Bello made some adjustments. Has Excalibur made any adjustments? Yeah, they've made some adjustments to, like, the, the mechanics. And they also, like... I mean, they have a very ambitious roadmap. They've got a large team. Uh, uh, like they're they want to bring like liquidationless borrow lending to to like their decks um, and a number of other things. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just th I think like it'll be interesting to see because I agree there are a couple solidly decks launching on Arbitrum, but like the the one that launches like in time for odyssey and or the token launch like just looking at what like happened with velodrome like i think is like there's really like no dgen decks on arbitrum today yeah. uh, uh so like i think that um you know there's just like a huge opportunity for someone to like yeah. take that spot i, I see will. i see why you have it at like the bottom of the thread that's where the real alpha is <laughs> with this solidly decks yeah, the, 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 what, the 9 million FTV or just, uh... Both in general, honestly. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, the fact that it's 9 million FTV and you, you saw what happened, I mean, I, you saw what happened in Velodrome and you saw what happened with Solidly for a sec. But, like, I guess my, uh, yeah, I was going to say what my question is, like, how do you make a Solidly deck sustainable? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I'm not sure that I'm bullish on that, to be honest, being able to make it sustainable long term, like with the current models. Uh, yeah. Did you see like, it? Like, yeah, go ahead. No, I, I mean, I think it, like it, it is inherently a dex. It is inherently like a model that pumps off the bat. I, I'm not convinced yet unless it becomes like a massive hub for liquidity on that chain where all the, 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 the trades happen where the token is worth so much that like I'm not sure that it is a super sustainable model. Like I'm not I, I I'm personally not incredibly bullish like long term on solidly dexes, but that's that's like very different than saying like, you know, out the gates, like I think that yeah. it's it could be some pretty interesting price action. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if Excalibur augments off that solid dex model, if they do anything different, make any changes, similar in the spirit of how Umami went from being an ohm fork to um, a real yield protocol. And and yeah. guys, uh, remind me again, is the solidly dex the VE33 thing, or, or yes. is, is that just a new rebrand? Do they just call it solidly now? as the? It is the VE33 thing, so yes. Got it. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Andre's last gift to us before he pieced. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, and then you ha we have a few extras here. Um, we have a Gamma Swap and Finance Liquid. Um, so let's get into Gamma Swap. Like, what do you think? An Oracle Free Dex. Wow. Okay. I I'm super interested in anything that's Oracle Free or Oracle less. That's probably like yeah. the things I look for the most in what in like any type of DeFi protocol and if it can like actually pull it off. Um, so like what's your thinking here with Gamma Swap? Yeah, what they do is um so like this is kind of confusing to to walk through, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Let's do it. Let's try. Like they're what they like when you're an LP in a DAX, you're effectively like 
buying a put option right like on that price with you don't have the same like upside though uh payout so they are taking lp deposits from um like uni v3 and they're just like enabling like this they're replicating the same payout as if you were buying an option so said like another way what they're trying to solve against is like hedging for impermanent loss for lps in uni v3 effectively okay and so they get the price and then yeah yeah okay i like to call um any type of lp i feel like uh i feel like the term automated market maker is like misleading they're really automated market takers because they're constantly taking and the arbitragers are the ones trading it's kind of flipped around from sexes <laughs> and so and like any way that helps mitigate that i think is useful and um but the thing is well like retail like understand it this will probably be a thing used by market makers and more sophisticated traders yeah it's i i agree like it's like it affects like the like gamma and an option is like the rate of change like mm -hmm. with like it's one of the greeks in an option the rate of change with an option so like how the rate of change between the pair or whatever so it effectively enables the, the the gamma swap enables you to go like long or short gamma within like that lp pair um um and so yeah i think it's probably going to be too complex for like your average retail user but i think it could be an interesting like integration with other protocols or for market makers to kind of use yeah for and, sure. and I, I guarantee you guys someone's going to come out with a vault where you just deposit your uni v3 nft and then they'll do this for you right it's like instead of moving your your range and your band they'll also manage your gamma for you like yeah, that's basically what panoptic's gonna do yeah who is that panoptic uh no, i haven't heard of them. so panoptic they're building based an option protocol that uses uniswap v3 as the options primitive like as like the base and they're building smart contracts around it to like build like build a whole options protocol with the idea that uni v3 is an options protocol it just needs to be like managed in a certain way and you'll be yeah. able to take like 5x leverage on your positions it's pretty cool the guy one the founders of it are cornell um phds and one of the guys i can't pronounce his name i don't want to mess it up it starts with a g <laughs> i forget his, i can't pronounce it but he's been writing some really good threads about uni v3 in general and how it could be used as an option i'll do it's i forget how to, I, I forget how, i'm gonna budget budget but panoptic that's the name gaim gaim thank you gaim i wish yeah i wish i knew my i wish my french was better <laughs> yeah that's interesting yeah there, i'm surprised like there's not more like uni v3 vaults to be honest like yeah there I, are I think it's just hard to build around or like, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think it's just hard to build around and manage because, you know, you saw last year, I mean, last year in 2021, a lot of them got hacked or exploited and we were, it, we were still in the figuring on phase of like how to use uni v3 effectively because it was such a novel primitive that it needed to be tested out over a period of time. And once it got tested out, it was like, okay, now this is like how it's used. This is the nature of it. This is how we can build around it this and that and like the most popular ones um vaults i know right now are arrakis and gamma strategies interesting yeah yeah no something to keep an eye out for for sure yeah and uh last thing we got a uh, finance liquid and as a uh, 
Mr. Rec Gem says, this man does not miss. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I posted about Finance Liquid before their launch. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I forget what happened. I forgot to, like, um, I forgot to ape. And, like, I don't know. It just did ri- a ridiculous number of Xs. So I was, like, glad I didn't take my own advice. Um, but, uh, yeah, they... What do they do? They harvest like MEV opportunities from like liquidity pools um, um, by like, you know, they create create like a liquid derivative of ETH uh, and use a fractional reserve model, kind of like Frax with mm. with that fractional reserve model. They create a liquidity pool against that LQ ETH um, that, that they can like build with protocol owned uh, uh, liquidity and like they'll continually uh, take profits from like arbitrage opportunities between pricing uh, discrepancies and return that to, to stakers, I believe. Wow, that's, that's really cool. <laughs> like, that, that, that seems quite, I can't believe all this stuff's being built on Arbitrum, but it makes sense that it, it is being, all this stuff is built on a roll up. This is like what Ethereum wanted to see. Dude, yeah, 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 yeah. I think, um, I think that's right, man. I think that's right. But it's like if you compare Arbitrum to like what's happening on like Mainnet or or, or elsewhere today, it's like kind of mind blowing, right? And yeah. like think about what's going to happen when a token comes. Exactly. Uh, I was just talking to a, a, my friend at another protocol who, you know, really keeps track of the chains and all the different chains, and he said that I'm going to actually close this right now. Um, thank you. He said that the three most are actually the four most used chains so obviously mainnet is the king and the three most used uh side chains are arbitrum as we went over here polygon which has essentially built itself up as like the both ethereum testnet in my opinion and also getting like a lot of major brands and more like web 2 traditional companies uh into web 3 and then the last thing which is kind of its own island is actually bsc um finance smart chain that has really captured a lot of the Asia market. That has really captured a lot of Binance users around the world. Um, it makes sense because Binance is, you know, a signif- is like a key point of entry for many users. And, it, and then they can just easily go to BSC from there. CZ has stated that he wants Binance to be all on chain within five to 10 years. So those are the three side chains other than ETH that are the, the, taking the W right now. Yeah, it's interesting. Um... Yeah, with Polygon, it's just like they have such impressive BD, right? It's like crazy, oh, just yeah. a partnership after partnership. Um, and it begs this question, will the best tech win or will it be like the best BD, right? Like, because like tech will always evolve and like you can like update things. Like, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see it play out. You're seeing both right now. Like Polygon has great BD, but Arbitrum has great tech and they've also yep. marketed themselves and fade themselves in the right way to developers and builders yeah and now it's just like the benefit of the ecosystem and then the tbl that is attracted to the chain like if you wanted to build on a roll-up like do you want to go where the liquidity and tbl is or 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 elsewhere i guess yeah talk about a flywheel yeah yeah (laughs) i i had a buddy who's very similar he kind of tracks the chain too but he told me this kind of interesting observation where he says if there's a uni v3 or uni v3 fork 
of you know uh, that on any chain and you track that volume and if you notice that the TVL on that volume is very low then that's a sign that this chain is not that sophisticated that means there are a lot more retail people on here so it's kind of like you know easy mode versus hard mode and now when I see Arbitrum kind of you know taking the the quote bear side I would be like man there's a lot of sophisticated things being built on Arbitrum. That means all the yeah. players here are going to be super sophisticated. So then when you PvP, you're, you're playing on, like, you know, extra God of War mode. So yeah. like, A lot of DeFi native players, honestly. I think that's what makes Arbitrum unique. It's like you have people, you know, gain experience, gain XP during DeFi Summer and during, you know, all the different chain cycles and whatnot. And now they're building products for DeFi on Arbitrum. Right. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Totally, totally agree. And other than Arbitrum, there may be a fifth chain um, to join our four other chains. One that you're very excited about, one I've been hearing a lot about for several months now, which is Bearer Chain. Um, Bearer Chain, I've looked into a bit. Um, It's a Cosmos, how I'm familiar with it, it's a Cosmos chain that uses proof of liquidity uh, it's really based off of synthetic assets and wrapped a- or synthetic assets or wrapped assets you can go into it can you explain like what makes bearer chain unique and novel and like why are you bullish on bearer chain yeah for sure so uh what it is is like with proof of liquidity like they you know you, you there will be different consents different assets you can stake into consensus vaults such as eth Bitcoin, Bera, stable coins, etc. When you stake those assets into the consensus vaults, you get like a liquid, uh, a, ver- a version of it that you can swap into other consensus assets. You can use as collateral uh, to borrow against and do a bunch of other things on the chain. And then what that what what happens when you deposit those assets into the consensus vaults? They're paired with Honey, the chain's native stable coin. And so your uh, stakers are contributing to the security of the chain, the liquidity of the chain, um, and like they're free to kind of do all of their different DeFi uh, uh, things on the native L1. And then like as an L1, they've also integrated um, CrocSwap and they'll have like an L1 native DEX. And then they're also, they will also have um, a perpetuals exchange and, um, what they do when they pair your staked asset. So if I deposit ETH and in return, I get some share of Bera emissions based on my staked ETH. Um, and then if I wanted to uh, take that, um, unstake that Bera, I can get the same amount of ETH back. And they, given they have the, the perpetuals exchange and the native DEX built into the L1 mechanism, they hedge like all of, or they, uh, are, so, so they allegedly hedge all of the IL with perpetuals um, positions, and then you know all of the fees that are accumulated, like from the various like products on the L1 itself, um, 
all are returned to to Barrist Acres. And then there's like a third token in the ecosystem called BGT, which is like kind of like a, I don't know if you're familiar with like Platypus on Avalanche or hummus on on metis but it's like it accumulates over time it's like non-transferable non-saleable so their governance token just accumulates over time if you unstake you lose that but like your share of bgt um will dictate your share of the honey emissions which are stable coin emissions so they're building like long story short is like they're building a chain where you know they should develop super deep liquidity because like you know you you like when you stake, you can do anything with staked assets that you could do otherwise. Plus they have like this native DeFi infrastructure built into the L1 that will accumulate fees for the chain and for stakers. So I think it's like a totally new primitive and like as new projects that launch on Barra, you can tap into that chain's liquidity, pair with that liquidity, you can become a consensus asset. And like, so if you think about the opportunities when you have super deep liquidity like that, um, um, they're kind of like endless and like they, you can think about like the flywheel that kicks off if like you have different consensus gauges and like hidden hand is coming to the chain and like you want to like bribe people to be like a, a consensus asset on the chain and be, like I think what you've also seen aside from like the mechanics on the chain I guess is um, they started with NFTs they created a great ecosystem there's been like a ton of hype there's like 50,000 people or something in the discord already the chain chain won't be live for like I don't know until early 23 and uh you know you I I can probably think of like 30 plus projects I know of that are already building there like you have a ton of stuff like most of the time you go to a new L1 there's not much to do like with this it's like you know you have all of this native DeFi infrastructure built into the chain that'll print real yield and like actual fees. And then um, the other thing that's kind of interesting is they're in like Syn Syn Synapse is going to be their canonical bridge. And if you think about SynChain, and if that if SynChain becomes larger, Barrachain will kind of be like a new liquidity primitive almost, right? Because like if you have that super deep liquidity, if for any cross chain uh, swaps that end up happening, Barrachain would be like the liquidity layer to get the deepest liquidity, lowest slippage on large trades because you have all of that liquidity backing the security of your chain. So, wow, that, that's impressive. I was going to ask, like, when people stake their ETH for, um, is it they stake it for consensus or they stake it for Barra or like, what'd you say? Before? Yeah, so like, so they, Barra, I, I think the inflation is like 10% a year. You stake your ETH, you get is that it, inflation in Barra token. ETH, like, where do they stake it? I think it'll be wrapped ETH. It'll be wrapped ETH. Okay. Yeah. And so, like, you have to bridge your ETH. Or no, you via Synapse. Yeah, via Synapse. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I think uh, they're going to have a mix of like L1 tokens. Barra is obviously an asset that you can stake, um, and then yeah. stable coins and their own Honey, um, which is their stable coin. So you stake that. You then once it's staked, like say you're like long ETH, then you decide like you know you think there's going to be a sell off. You want to be swapping to stables. You don't need to unstake your ETH. Like you can swap that staked ETH into swapped USDC or swap or, or uh, into staked USDC or staked honey and like swap into stables while that remains staked. Or you can use that staked ETH as collateral to borrow against or in a purpose exchange while they hedge kind of that um, exposure. And like 
they can build like they they they're leveraging like honey is going to be over collateralized but they're leveraging like the same amo mechanism that, that that prax has in terms of like honey and like building that into the native l1 in terms of like you know minting or burning honey into like these various pairs plus hedging that exposure and like i think that's why they built on cosmos is it just gave them a lot more like functionality around the mechanics they could build into the native L1 that you couldn't just do on, on solidity. Um, so I think that like, it's, I mean, it's a no, no question, a tall feat, but if they're able to like figure this out and make it work, I think it's like a whole new, like, like I said, primitive for DeFi, to be honest. Oh, got That's it. And D24, let me make sure that I, I get it. And also for the benefit of the of the listener at home here, let's walk me through the user journey of, I'm, I'm going to walk you through it and uh, hear if I'm correct. I have sure. ETH on ETH main chain. I bridge over via Synapse. Then once I'm on Barra chain, I have to stake that ETH and I would have a liquid staking, uh, you know, in return where it's called Barra ETH uh, for the example's sake. And then this Bera ETH, I can do whatever it is that I want to do on chain, whether it be collateralizing it and borrowing some some honey, or I can you know collateralize it in their perp exchange and and, and trades on the perps. But I would have this um, Bera ETH, and I can take this Bera ETH to. Can I also then stake that Bera ETH to earn Bera tokens, which is the native yeah. token of the chain? Yeah. So just to like clarify. You get you stake your ETH. You get your, I I believe you get your bare ETH. I don't know exactly if you get a liquid version or or how how it works. But I don't think you can use it for anything on the chain. But oh. since they have like an L1 native Dex, L1 native Perps platform, like there are, and I I could be wrong about this. Like this is my understanding of it. Like you can use it for, um, like, uh. Th- those applications that are built into the native l1 i don't think you can go and do any Uh, like if you want to swap it you can only swap it for other consensus vault assets and you don't have to stake that eth for what it's worth right like you can bring eth onto the chain and do whatever you want with that uh, eth but if you wanted to stake it for consensus for for emissions that's that's kind of like what you're you're able to do and when you stake it you get bara emissions effectively and then if you stake that bara you get Bera emissions, plus you get a share of the fees of the native like DeFi stuff that is built into the L1 um, in terms of a stable coin. Understood. And, and how does Honey play into the effect? So all of the fees of like the on, on CrocSwap, on the Perps platform, that those are all printed in Honey. Plus when you stake your, if you want to stake your ETH into the consensus vaults, what that ETH is paired with Honey in their native decks. So all of these consensus assets will be paired against Honey and that L, that, that exposure, um, that IL exposure is then hedged out via their perp. And all of this stuff that happens in their native decks and perps uh, uh, product um, all prints fees in Honey for Barra stakers. Got it. Yeah, where, where does the original Honey come from like is it mint to some it's collateralized right it's over yeah it comes it's an over collateralized cdp and then for the honey that they pair with these uh staked assets they use an amo mechanism 
Got it. Okay, so I can technically bridge ETH over. Don't deal with the staking of the Barra ETH, and I can collateralize my ETH and then mint honey with that. And then I can obviously take the honey and play with the protocol as as I need, like any CDP. If you mint the honey, because you're like blocking your ETH. Yeah, so you can. Um, I think if you were to mint honey, you would stake it first because you would you would get you'd stake it and then you would mint the honey against that, um, and then for any Barra missions you earn, you have to stake the Barra to earn the fees of the protocol, and then like the longer that you're staked for your Barra, the more that you stake, you get a larger share of that honey, and this isn't confirmed, but my guess is that like. The Barra NFT holders are going to get some share of that BGT. BGT is the token that you get from staking the Barra, which indicates how much of the honey that you receive from the fees that are printed on the chain. Got it. Okay. Does that make sense? I know it's like there's like it's 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 like pretty novel, but I think it's like I don't know. I think it's very interesting if they can figure this out. Yeah. And like the team, they seem like very smart dudes that uh, you know, have have worked on this a while yeah, so we'll see I, I follow it it'll just, just take some time to marinate and yeah. digest because i've heard different explanations of Barra in the past i've read a few threads yeah but since it's like so novel it takes some time to understand and digest it's definitely, yeah definitely yeah. clicking for me uh after hearing it the second time so i'm pretty sure by the 69th time i'll totally get it <laughs> yeah. and um but i i want to ask you for d d24 so how do we play this then like you said the chain is not going to come out until 2023 so what do <laughs> what do yeah i mean i aped like some of the cheaper nfts to be honest i i believe that they will have utility around them but that's not financial advice i have no idea <laughs> um and then it's like i'm what i've been doing is just watching for projects building on Barra. um there will also i believe be an incentivized testnet um mm. So like I and I think that they'll talk about that in the Discord and like you know I I I'm not sure how you get invited to that and like I think the way that I heard it described was since there's a lot more to do on Barra than your typical L1 they want to give people time with the test net to do all these different things and then I believe that'll be incentivized so I would say like follow watch them figure that out and then kind of track like projects that are building there. Um, because I think it'll be, I, I think that once they launch, hopefully like it times well with like RB season, then they launch, I could see like, you know, a lot of liquidity migrating over there. Because if you think about like just the base base layer L1 mechanism, like what you can build on top of that, like there's probably some pretty interesting sort of vaults and stuff you can build using, utilizing that. Yeah, like especially like, projects building on there croc swaps really impressive honestly like i've been hearing about them for over a year now and it's cool to hear that they're building on bearer chain yeah yeah i agree and then the second thing i was going to say is this since it's a cosmos sdk and since it's mainly you know revolves around like this order book exchange perps the first thing i think of is dydx i think of you know both like bear like bear and dydx kind of I, I would I guess I, since they're both their own chains like com- competing in a sense um, I want and also just seeing like the success of DYDX over the past few years um, if you like use them as a model for Barachain if Barachain has this novel liquidity um, accumulation mechanism I think if all goes well and 
you know, it's quite bullish for Barra. Yeah, for sure. Um, and like the other thing is like they're totally EVM combat compatible too. Um, so you can just port a, a, an Ethereum application built on Solidity onto Barra too. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're seeing a lot of interesting stuff on Cosmos. To be honest, it's like an ecosystem I haven't paid much attention to. Um, but but I feel like you're seeing a lot of building there. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see it play out. And the whole cross-chain MEV thing I mentioned, like I've heard like the Flashbots guys talk about like being pretty like thinking about cross-chain MEV with Ethereum and like thinking, seeing what's going on in Cosmo, Cosmos and like kind of using that as, as something that, that they're looking at. I, I think there's like a lot happening there that it's probably worth paying attention to. Yeah, I think what it comes down to, like the attraction of building your own chain and owning your own land is just so great that you're just going to naturally have a lot of people go and build on Cosmos. It's just a matter of can those app chains get you know enough traction and enough users and be sustainable um and you know it seems like bear chain's doing a good job like and a phenomenal job of building community um especially before their launch and attracting quality projects and i think that's one commonality that you see between arbitrum and bear is they don't necessarily have incentives stated yet but it still attracts high quality builders which says a lot especially in this you know especially in this era and previous eras where it's just like incentives, 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 and like those incentives are so short-term thinking. Um, and then they run out and then people are like, what do, and they move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hundred percent, man. I, uh, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. I, uh, I think, I think you'll see like a lot more of that. And I think it's going to be hard for chains that don't focus on building that community first to, to thrive. Um, and like I, I also would just say too, like I want to like, there's a lot to be said to like building also just on ETH and maintaining the security of Ethereum. Like I think there will yeah. be some successful app chains for sure, but I don't think it like makes sense for everybody by any means. Um, mm -hmm. um, it's not as simple as black and white. Yeah, exactly. Like it, I, I think that what the way I heard the Bear team describe it is what they were trying to build into the L1 like logic and mechanics like was more doable on like Tendermint than Solidity like building like the AMO functionality like into the layer the base layer like I don't know that that was possible on Solidity but um but but and again so like makes sense but I don't I don't know that it makes sense for everyone but some of these bigger protocols like I could see it it working for and yeah. I, I, you know, if, if we're good on, on moving forward, I'd love to get D24's uh, thoughts on like Aptos and Sui and and all that side of the 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 crypto CT. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like there'll definitely be interesting plays there for sure. Um, I just haven't paid like that much attention to it. It feels like, but but I'm sure there will be like interesting apps there to find. I just have dedicated like to be totally honest, like zero time. Like I couldn't <laughs> tell you anything. Um, but but we'll see. Yeah. And what about Celestia? Yeah, I mean, I've heard like great things like about what they're building in the tech. Like I haven't looked like that closely at it, but like I think that's I think it's interesting. Um, yeah. I've heard of I don't know if there's a lot being built there yet, um, but like on top of it yet, but but I know a lot of people are excited about it. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's necessarily, you know, big with DeFi yet, if at all, but more just other, you know, 
other use cases. For example, you can build like a chat application or a Discord where people can like run their own Celestia nodes from their phones. And oh, that's like, interesting. Yeah, you have just like a sovereign chat app, and you can like basically, and you can choose like which nodes you want to accept in your network. That's super interesting. Yeah. Um, and then you know, I actually want to ask like one last question, and then we can get to wrapping up with rap- rapid fire. So, what is your overarching DeFi thesis? The overarching DeFi thesis, I would say, um, if I were to like sum it up, is just that like you know, making capital markets um, more accessible and efficient for everyone on the planet is like huge. And that we just like need to like, you know, I guess keep marching forward and like learning like from our mistakes, I guess, and just like building like open permissionless systems for for everyone to use. And just like, I think, I think we're heading there. There's, there's a, like, if you look back, like there's just so much interesting stuff that continues to be developed on chain. Um, um, and we probably have a ways to go, but I, I think like, I, I see DeFi as successful. Like I, I said at the beginning, like if anyone on the planet from like a phone or a computer with an internet connection can trade, whether it's like a stock or a token or like, you know, you know, just any sort of asset they want, um, that's like success in, in my mind, I guess. Like I have like more like granular ones, I guess, but but at a, at the highest level, that's probably probably we've it. come full circle, global financial adoption where anybody can access powerful financial primitives from their phone. It doesn't matter yeah. where they are, where they live, what citizen, what country they're a citizen of, who they are. Um, that's it's, like uh, <laughs> it's beautiful. It's any ape, anywhere, anytime. <laughs> Any ape, anywhere, anytime. One hundred percent. Like things like move like ten times faster in DeFi. I think because everything's open. So uh, yeah. So okay. yeah. I mean, I think it's it's for sure doable. Um, like I've gotten ten times older. Yeah, man. Right. Right. I didn't even think that was possible after how many years I've spent like in investment banking, but it is. Yeah, and like you gain like XP so much faster because yeah. Hard mode. Everything is hard, hard mode here. Everything uh, is hard mode. Yeah. You also like on the flip side too, you like gain like things are built faster than they like, you know, you gain like lessons that you need to gain, I guess, quicker, like with Terra collapsing and other stuff. And it's like kind of interesting, right? Like it's like we're, we're, we're also repeating some of the mistakes of like TradFi markets, right? And like seeing that play out is like super interesting. But the fact that DeFi is like completely like open, like it's kind of like the last true free market on earth, right? So things just happen way faster when we front run what happened elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for now, for sure. Cool, cool. Well, I am going to kick us off with some of these uh, rapid fire questions. So there's going to be a series of lightning questions at you, all right, D24? So the first sure, one, um, what was your virgin crypto experience? And sexes don't count. <laughs> yeah, virgin crypto. So yeah, since sexes don't count, um, uh, well, probably, honestly, probably like bridge ETH over uh, to mainnet and like you know, I I think I tried to bridge first. I think I tried like 
hop. I don't know why. I couldn't figure out like how to like get the. I, I feel like I lost that ETH to be honest because I couldn't figure out how to like show it in MetaMask and thought it was gone forever. So uh, yeah, that was probably it. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's hard mode <laughs> for sure. Yeah. <laughs> right away. Okay. Uh, did, did you want to ask? And I was like, one? I actually need to learn this stuff oh, probably. Okay. Uh, and on the other side, what do you like to do off chain, you know, hobbies, interests? Yeah, I like to uh, like, I don't know, get outside, play golf, touch grass, touch grass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when I can, that kind of stuff. When you can. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is some advice that you would give to your 10 year younger self? Yeah, man, I would say like get into crypto earlier for sure. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, like take your, that plus like, you know, uh, probably just like take a risk and like go and like figure out, like, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff that you can build like in crypto. Um, and yeah, like just get in earlier for sure. That's what I would change or give my, tell myself. Yeah. And then, um, if you weren't working in, assuming you don't have a day job, if you weren't working in crypto, what else would you be doing professionally? Oh, I'd still be grinding away, I guess, at my current job, like uh, doing like TradFi stuff, trying to, you know, uh, being kind of bored, to be honest, doing what I was doing. Um, so let's, yeah. let's say, let's say you can't do TradFi. Like what, what else would you be doing with your professional career? Hmm. I have no idea, man. Um, <laughs> he belongs in the numbers. He belongs in the sheets. Yeah, I'd say, <laughs> what else would I be doing? I mean, it'd be sick to, like, I don't know, go uh, open up, like, a bar or something somewhere. I, I have no idea. <laughs> a D-Gen bar. Yeah, a D-Gen bar. Like, I, I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Super cool. Nice. Nice. And uh, where can people find you online if you don't know already? Uh, yeah, my Twitter, which is uh, OX underscore uh, D24. Oh, it's OX. I've been saying 0X. Oh, wait, no. Oh, no, it is 0X. It is 0. You're right. Sorry. It, it is 0X. <laughs> okay, so 0X underscore D24. Yes, sir. Well, dude, thank you so much for coming on. I every minute of this episode was just non-stop alpha so like thank you like i appreciate it yeah no thanks for having me guys it was super fun yeah and definitely excited to have you on in the future yeah definitely man yeah Talk soon. all right well uh thanks guys peace well that's a wrap for this episode of flywheel pod if your brain hurts a little bit don't worry ours do as well um this was a lot to take in um, and this was just a really, really nice episode full of alpha. And also like, it was really interesting to hear his TradFi background and how he still has a day job in TradFi and still coming out with all that alpha. He's like, yeah, I don't sleep. I'm just like, I feel that <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> and it's still high quality work. Dude, I, I'm surprised that he still has a day job and yeah. keep on having this frequency of alpha hunting, like what are all of us full-time DJs doing? You know, yeah. now like we need to manage our time better is, is how I feel <laughs> after chatting with him. 
straight up, honestly, like he sets the bar for all other DGens out there, all other people that live on chain out there. And so, yeah, this was a really good episode. This is one that I'm going to have to listen to again, just to like make sure I get everything, every little detail. Agreed. Agreed. And I also like how you went through each and every single line item of his thread to really highlight each project. I, I think the, the readers probably, re I mean, the listeners probably really appreciate seeing someone uh, to elaborate on each of those projects just to get them started on their research. Dude, of course it's important. And I know, I know what our viewers want. I know what they're hungry for and I got what, and we got what they need. <laughs> and thanks for everyone for tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe to us on YouTube. Don't forget to hit that bell notification. Don't forget to follow us at FlywheelPod on Twitter. Join our Telegram group. You can follow me on Twitter at DeFiDave22. Follow my co-host at, at 0xCapitalK. And we'll see you next time at Flywheel Pod. Peace.